Welcome to What I Hate About My Lawyer, the Salt Pod series discussing the relationship between in-house and external counsel from the view of in-house experts and really getting into what they would like to see more of in the context of our local industry. Today we are joined by Rorisang Mzozoyana, uh, Senior Legal Counsel in the Banking Sector. Rorisang, welcome. Thank you so much, Jared. I'm it's, so excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you here as well. The uh, the, the the new school uh, way of doing things is, <laughs> I think, what you represent best in, in the profession. So it really is a, an honor for us to be able to, to have this conversation. Um, so Rudy Sang, please tell us a bit more about, uh, you know, what you do, what your role is and, and um, what duties you have as part of that position. Sure. So my current position is senior legal counsel. Um, I'm currently a senior legal counsel for Nedbank and I advise on um, property finance transactions within South Africa and across Africa. I previously worked for APSA in a similar role and at APSA my position was senior legal counsel vice president and similarly to what I do now for Nedbank, I advised uh, transactors on commercial property financing transactions. And so my background is in banking and finance law. I previously worked for Norton Rose Fulbright. And before Norton Rose Fulbright, I worked for a white shoe law firm in New York called Cleary Gottliebstein and Hamilton. And there I advised on structured financing transactions for Wall Street clients. And then when I came back to South Africa, I then niched down and focused specifically on property finance. Yes, yes. Okay. So tons of experience with the, with the banking sector, with law, with everything, the integration points between it all. 100%. I've got a lot of gray hairs to shoot for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, not at all, not at all. Rudy Sang, what type of matters and instructions do you find your, um, yourself referring to outside counsel? So we try and do a lot of work in-house, right? So, you know, the normal issue with in-house counsel is how do you justify your existence? So you can't be outsourcing all of the work. So we need to justify why we get paid. So as I said, I do commercial property finance work. So um, and it's similar to what any person would do when they're financing their property that they live in. They go to a bank, they ask for a loan to finance the property and then they the bank gets a mortgage bond over the property as security. It works exactly the same way with individuals. And I do that on a commercial scale. So I advise okay. the bank in lending out money to finance commercial property. And commercial property is like shopping malls or office blocks or sectional title developments where sectional titles are going to be developed by a developer. And then they would unsell those to in consumers mm. and the banks will finance that right so mm. as opposed to mortgage bonds or as opposed to property for individuals which can be like two or five million these transactions can go into the billions. so one Crazy. loan can be like 1.2 billion rand to finance the, de the development of a, of a shopping center so uh. that's what i do day to day that's what i've been doing for the last five or six years uh specifically within the commercial property finance space uh as legal counsel for the banks, I would advise the banks in concluding those contracts mm. and signing all of those security documents for purposes of developing commercial property for developers. Okay. And and at what point do you, or when do you involve in like your external counsel in those kinds of things? So at what we part? would, so it depends on the type of bank, right? And as I said, like my experience, my experience stretches over either banks in South Africa or internationally, uh, or across multiple banks within South Africa themselves. It depends on the capacity. So, and this mm. is a, a clear, 
this is a misconception that a lot of people have, right? They think that the work that you send to external counsel is the more like sophisticated or technical work. But in most instances, the decision to outsource work to external counsel is just informed by the capacity of internal legal advisors to handle the volume of work. So depending on... For example, how many transact uh, legal advisors you have supporting a specific property finance division with a bank, that will inform when work is outsourced. So sometimes work is outsourced just solely on the basis of volume, um, and the that decision will be informed, for example, by certain legal advisors not being able to manage the work from a volume perspective. And so if they're overwhelmed with work, then they will outsource. But sometimes also like the bigger transactions get outsourced because of the amount of work they involved mm. that is involved. So it's not necessarily the technical aspects that will inform whether you outsource work or not, mm. but it's more the case of how much work will it take to conclude this transaction and then you would outsource it to external counsel. So for example, you might do, and it's not about how big the numbers are. People love to say, oh, I worked (laughs) on a 1.2 billion rand transaction and they think, oh no, that's too technical. Um, And so that must have been done by outside counsel. So I've done a, like transactions that are worth 1.2 billion, but they're simple transactions, right? They're not too complicated. There isn't structuring. And in most instances, even if a loan is for 1.2 billion, it might actually be simple and mm. internal counsel might be able to do it. Yes. And then you might find a loan that's for 50 million rand and it's got these fancy structures and it's just going to take too much work and there's too much documentation involved. And then that would be outsourced to external counsel. So, There isn't a short answer. It's a very nuanced decision depending Mm. on the needs of a particular department. But in my case, currently in my role, um, the decision to outsource will depend on how much work is involved in actually getting the deal done. Um, And that is not necessarily informed by the size of the deal, but how it's structured, how many documents are required and the complexity of the deal. No, that's very interesting. And I mean, once you outsource to your external counsel, is there any um, set of requirements that you have? Is there anything that you look for in terms of either experience or qualification? So definitely. Um, look, within the South African market, banking and finance is a very niche practice area. Mm. And so you need counsel who has extensive banking and finance experience. And the deals that we work on, obviously a lot of money is involved. They are very technical in their nature. So you need someone with extensive experience. And unfortunately in the South African market, you only find predominantly lawyers in the big firms with that type of experience or lawyers who were trained in the big firms. And then they either start their own firms or move to like medium-sized law firms. Yes, And so you would look for lawyers with that experience. And there aren't a lot of people with that type of experience, unfortunately, as I said, in the South African market. And so the prerequisite is you need to look at someone's track record. You need to look at, you know, where were they trained? How much experience do they have? Um, And then you would also obviously look at the size of the firm, because especially for Africa deals, you might do one transaction that involves parties in multiple jurisdictions, and you would then need the advice of local councils in those jurisdictions to actually get your deal done. Yes. And again, unfortunately, it's only the big law firms who have that reach, right? Because they either have law offices in those jurisdictions, especially across Africa, or they have established relationships with local council where if you're the client, right, and you are the bank and you want to do a deal across like four 
African jurisdictions, you can go to one of the big firms and they just handle finding local counsel in those jurisdictions, dealing with local counsel. And you don't have, and you as a bank don't have to like now go to like four different African countries, try and find lawyers there to like cobble this deal together. Yes. And so, especially for the Africa deals, it's important to brief law firms who have that sort of reach Mm. or have those established relationships in those jurisdictions. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's very informative. And I mean, is the, so you actually go out and try and find them. It's not like you have a a pool of attorneys that you use on a panel or anything like that. Or do you have a, a, a preference in terms of that kind of access as well? So we do have a panel and all of the big banks in South Africa have panels. So, and, and the panels are usually set up over a two or four year period. And this is again, a question that comes up a lot, especially for medium sized or smaller law firms. Like how do we get work from X bank? Yes. And unfortunately, if you're not on the panel, you're not going to get work and you'll need to wait for the next time the panels open up. Opens up. And so the banks normally run like the panel selection over, as I said, a two or four year period and they will send out like an RFP to say if you want to be on our panel please you know submit the following documents and you do all of that vetting to make sure that and I think that's like a risk mitigation um, things to limit the number of lawyers that and sort of vet them in advance before you can give work out to them and the the, the panels of, of most of the banks are very broad right it's not just the big firms it's mm. like it can run into like tens and tens of possibly even hundreds of lawyers on the panel so we unfortunately are restricted in terms of just briefing lawyers who are on the panel. Yes. Um, and But sometimes there are exceptions that are made, but those are very rare. Very rare. Um, okay. No, that's interesting. And I mean, so I mean, what are some of the things you find challenging about dealing and working with outside counsel? Sure. Sorry. Before we move on to that, I no, actually course. just thought of something else now. So yeah, yeah. the other important factor to consider in briefing outside counsel is sort of the insurance policy, right? And the like fidelity fund and and the insurance. Um oh. and for for so and I'll tell you why that's important. So for the banking and finance transactions that we work on, we usually require a legal opinion from external counsel at the end of a transaction. And yes. they give us an opinion to say, you know, your documents are valid and your deal is legal, valid and binding. Yes. And that is backed by sort of their um insurance as lawyers and your insurance as a law firm will need to match the deal value. So oh, if our deal I is one point, yeah, so if our deal is like 1.2 billion rand, you, ca- you can't have like your insurance be less than 1.2 billion. Whoa. And so that's also another reason that informs why it's the big law firms who might end up getting most of the work for sort of the bigger finance transactions. Yes. Because sort of their, their um, insurance that backs up their legal opinions needs to match the deal the value that they at least. Give. Okay, that's I've never knew that actually. I, I mean, I didn't work for a big law firm as well, so this isn't knowledge uh, to me as well. But that's very interesting. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So what is what are some of the things that you find challenging about dealing or working with outside counsel? Fees. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the first thing mentioned so far for everyone. So. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, we all know that the billable hour is outdated and I think it's the bane of like the legal profession's existence to have to deal with billable hours. And having been on the other side, right, and having, you know, been in private practice, I, yes. I sort of understand their struggle. Yes. Um, but as banks, we are so fee sensitive at the moment and we need to go through the bills and our fees 
with a fine tooth comb because again it's a, it's justifying our existence right yes. so you can't have a team of five or six lawyers in a department who are in-house counsel and then you go and like have fees Spend in excess bucks. of like four million rand in a year mm. for deals right because it just doesn't make to make sense to the business to have these people in-house and then have to outsource work so we are very conscious of you know, trying to minimize minimize bills for clients. And the other thing with our fees is that in most instances, borrowers pay for the fees, right? So it's our clients as the banks who will pay for banking and finance legal fees, and it's not the bank directly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, unless the bank itself wants a specific legal opinion, and I'm only speaking within the context of banking and finance. I know in other departments, for example, in the litigation department of the bank, if the bank itself is litigating on a matter, it would pay their attorney fees. Yes. But the situation is slightly different in banking and finance in that our clients as the banks being the borrowers will pay for the legal fees. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a lot. I mean, also some of these things I know for some people, it's very common knowledge for other people who have never heard about these things. I'm one of those people who have never heard of those no, things. I so. think it's, I, bank and finance is a very unique uh, niche. niche. Yeah. yeah, It's a very niche practice area. So if you're not involved with it day to day, you won't sort of understand those nuances. And and I mean, in terms of other, are you finding anything anything else challenging in terms of dealing or working with outside counsel? Sometimes what I find is, and again, I'm sensitive to these issues because I've been on the other side. Yes. It's the being overly technical in providing advice and not being commercial. Okay. Which is something that you learn once you get in-house, right? So we don't want like a thesis on case law <laughs> and going back to Rome and Dutch founding principles you know yeah, it's when not heads of arguments no. or anything <laughs> we just want you to tell us what the answer is and so sometimes i struggle with external counsel who are not commercially minded okay and as a lawyer i appreciate like your 15 page legal opinion and i see you've done your research and you're quoting all the cases <laughs> But I'm like, I can't take that to my business. <laughs> like, yeah. People just want, you know, just let's keep it moving. Yeah. Because people won't, like, no one, like the business doesn't. You, you as the law department, you'll understand it. Yes, but if you have to go explain it to business, yes. You know, it looks beautiful and it's great. But, you know. As soon as you go speak to business, then it's like. Uh, exactly. So I think the commercial awareness is something that some external counsel can work on. And, and that's part of the reason why I always encourage people to spend some time in-house, even if it's on secondment and all of that, because then you understand how the business works and then you can tailor your advice. Um, because being on the other side actually opens up your eyes and you realize how to better service your clients. You're actually the second person to say that now as well, eh? because so we've had Jared uh, Lasar from uh, Root as well, who said the same thing about just that empathy value um, of being able to understand both sides of the coin working very well. Um, and so it's something that you'd like to see more of basically from your outside counsel as well. A hundred percent. And and when it comes to the use of the systems, I mean, uh, are you finding that your external counsel use systems that are um, easy for you to use, or do you uh, force them to use your systems that you guys have designed, or how does that how does that exchange happen? So, unfortunately, the banks are like large behemoths, right? And okay. it's difficult to like 
change, especially around, you know, the use of technology to do your work, it's very difficult to introduce new systems because let's say you are like a, a property and finance legal department. If you yes. try and like introduce like, for example, a data storage system or like some AI enabled tech that will assist in contract drafting or some contract management system, yes. that will have to be introduced throughout the bank, right? And and the bank, there's like tons and tons of people who are involved. So we end up having to rely on some of the systems that external counsel has to try and get transactions done as opposed to using our own systems because I think in a lot of instances, some of the systems within the banks are outdated and external counsel might have access to like the latest technology and better systems than you might have in-house. And just to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about when you outsource based on the volume and the capacity, do you find that when you have to deal with that exchange um, based on the current systems that you have, are you finding that to be an easy process or do you find that even though you have to use outside counsel, you have to spend an extra month just explaining what the problem is or what their role in fixing the problem is and that kinds of things? No, I I don't have that problem because what happens is before the deal goes to external counsel, you would have gone through it in detail with your business. Okay. And and that's the unique role that in-house counsel has is to decipher business speak into legal speak. Yes. Um, so we're like, and I always like to say, it's like we are the sausage machine, right? Like the business feeds in the meat at the end and you as internal counsel understand that external counsel won't understand what they say. <laughs> so by the time it gets to uh, external counsel, it's already sausage. It's already, okay, so, okay. So yes, and, and, and this is also a unique perspective that in-house counsel will have in that you as in-house counsel, you will have um, access to sort of the background cooking of the deal before it gets to external counsel. So by the time the external counsel gets the instruction to work on a property finance transaction, the transaction has already been cooked. So as okay. internal counsel, you would have taken the business through, you know, getting the deal approved internally by the credit committee of the bank. You would have assisted them in structuring the deal properly. You would have assisted them in sort of crafting the deal so that it's in a form that, you know, the borrower and the bank are sort of happy with. Mm -hmm. And the key terms of the deal would have been set up and structured and finalized by the time it gets to external counsel. So all of that sort of background going back and forth, advising the business, making sure the deal is structured properly is only something you would have access to in-house. Okay, okay. And just one last question. I mean, just to touch on your experience with, you know, the the uh, international um, locations that you've worked with and that, um, are there any things that you are seeing being done in America that um, is being done by outside counsel that you would like your South African external counsel to adopt? Was there any practices that you feel would be efficient in, in the local environment and context of how we operate here in South Africa? Sure, there's there's two specifically. The one that really stands out for me was um, one of the partners I worked for in New York. We we're doing a due diligence, and he like was reviewing financial statements and picking up issues in financial statements that had gone wrong. And for me, that just reflected the fact that you know lawyers, especially within the New York market, who work for Wall Street clients, have got such great financial knowledge. And they understand the financing aspects of a deal 
together with the legal aspects of the deal. And that was something that was very insightful for me to realize that, you know, your knowledge as a lawyer in a deal and for you to be viewed as a trusted advisor for your client, you must be able to advise them on different aspects of your deal. Mm. So finance transactions involved, yes, there's the financing aspects of it and then there's tax and there's a competition law related aspects sometimes for the transactions and to be a valued lawyer to clients, you sort of need to understand even if it's the basics of all of those aspects of, of the finance transaction. And that's how you stand out as a lawyer. And I was very impressed by that because I always had the mindset of thinking, yes, you're doing your due diligence, you get financial statements, you just like chuck them in a different box and don't even look at them yeah. right? because it's not necessarily what you've been hired to do as a lawyer, but actually you can add value to your client by having some basic knowledge of other aspects of the transaction. So I thought that was really great. And then the other thing, um, especially with the New York market, is that the banks have got standard documents that everyone in the market knows will work for the bank. And there isn't as much negotiation on things that you see recurring on all of the deals. So, for example, I know like banks like Citibank or Bank of America or Goldman Sachs have got standard documents. It's like, again, sausage machine. Like it's literally you mm. can turn Depending documents and deals so quickly. So it's really great that, you know, different banks have got different and that's just to even do their documents in-house. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, so yes, I understand that in, in the South African market, we do have standard documents, which are like loan market association documents to do, especially the real estate deals. And all of the deals that are going to be outsourced to external counsel, we more or less get the same transactions. But I feel like the banks all have different priests and documents that they use internally. Yes. And their contract management systems don't necessarily are not cohesive and they don't have great priests and banks. And I mean, I've worked with all of the big banks in South Africa. I've worked with Investec. I've worked with standard banks on deals. So I've seen their documents, even if I wasn't working for them. Yes. Um, I'm working for Nidbank now. I've worked for APSA. And the banks just uh, don't have like similar or cohesive sort of precedents. And even if they do have precedent documents, I mean, the difference between the, U the US and the South African market is that literally nothing was changed. Most of the terms in those documents in the US stay more or less the same and you would literally just change our loan amounts borrower. And the clients understand and, and the clients of the banks understand that if you go into a certain bank, these are the documents you're going to get and there's no room for negotiation. Yes. Um, so if you go into Goldman Sachs, for example, those are the documents you're going to get from Goldman Sachs for your deal. You're not going to negotiate them. While I find... Um, and that's the opposite in the second market. I feel like the clients for the banks, even though the banks might have standard documents, there's a lot of room for negotiation of those documents, which sometimes makes um, the deal closing longer. And do you think that also affects then the outside counsel's role in depending on how much negotiation happens before they get it? Or do you find that as long as you guys handle it first internally, then it's still just the sausage that's ready made for the attorney that's going to handle it as external counsel? No, it definitely does affect the sort of the amount of work that you send to external counsel. So in my experience in New York, a lot of the in-house, a lot of the deals are done in-house because they had such great documents and they could as such handle a large volume of documents, right? Mm. Because they didn't need to negotiate it like standard clauses and agreements. Yes. Um, I found in the, second in the South African market, we actually rely a lot more on external counsel because we can't deal with the volume of documents because our documents are actually not automated. Crazy. 
Okay, that's very interesting. Sorry, I know we went on a bit of a tangent no, there, but yeah, that's, I just found it so interesting. <laughs> but look, thank you, Rory San, for joining us. It was obviously a, an honor and a pleasure to have you. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and even learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners did as well. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Perfect, man. Thanks.